Hello and welcome back to the latest episode of the Seriously Good Podcast. As always, I am your host, Casey Evans, and I am joined by the Glaswegian man himself, Danny Corcoran. How are you doing today, Danny? I'm very good, thank you. Friday, you know, ready for the weekend, the long weekend. How are you? Long weekend, the end of Premier League football this weekend, not the end of other footballing leagues, but... Yeah, it seems like football's finally coming to a close for this season after what has been a very long season with a World Cup in the middle and what seems like every single cup competition and everything. Yeah, it's just it's just very tiring. It's very tiring to talk about all this football. But today we're going to talk about the Serie A, which has been very interesting this week. There's been a lot to talk about. So the topic of this podcast was going to be the Coppa Italia, uh, obviously the final was a couple of days ago now. We're going to talk about the final. We're going to talk about two teams. We're going to talk about what that means uh, in a greater context. But as always, we're going to start with a roundup. And there was a bit of bombshell news um, over the past week. Obviously, Napoli have been excellent this season. They won the league quite comfortably. They've been an incredible attacking force. But news broke earlier this week that Luciano Spalletti could be leaving the club after a disagreement with uh, De Laurentiis, which is to anyone's surprise, Danny? <laughs> no, not really. Like There was a long read from James Horncastle on the Athletic where he kind of went through it. But yeah, basically Spalletti, just after they crashed out of Europe, got a one-year extension like email. He didn't even get told about it by De Laurentiis or the sporting director. It just kind of happened and he didn't really like that and now he wants to go and take a sabbatical on his vineyard in Tuscany for a year before going back into management. It is sad because I feel like this is like the pinnacle of Spalletti's career. He, like he's been trying to win a title for ages and it's all his ideas have all come together perfectly at Napoli and he's connected with the fans and he's brought them their first Scudetto since the 80s. So to see it go out just straight after he doesn't even get a second try with these guys it's kind of it's kind of sad and yeah De Laurentiis has always been a bit bit of a drama queen a bit of a diva a bit of a one of those owners that likes to talk a lot um so yeah it's sad but it's interesting in the context of the league because you feel like it might make it even more open next year yeah, De Laurentiis has always been a man who likes things to go his own way and he likes to things to go his own way in the way that he does them. So him definitely sending an email and annoying one of the managers that has a, has a track record of falling out spectacularly. He's very Italian in the way that he goes out of places. Like It's, it's the Antonio Conte system of, I'm not going to leave quietly, I'm going to leave with a fuss because I don't want to leave. Um, but yeah, it, it does seem like Napoli at this point will be looking for a new manager next season and one of the managers we're going to be talking about today has actually been linked with that post uh, and it would be a good move for him I'm going to say this before we get into it it would be a good move for him because I think he deserves to have a, one of the better teams in the league at his disposal and I would love to see that style of football with Victor Arshman up front but we're getting ahead of ourselves we're getting ahead of ourselves. We're talking a little bit too much. Um, another big piece of news was that Juventus actually have had a points deduction now. Obviously, they had a points deduction. They got it took back off them, and they went to second. And now they've had another one, and it was of 12 points, which has taken them completely out of the European places. 
Um, and also, it has taken them, I think, one if uh, Milan get one point, they cannot get Champions League football next season. Um, and it's a very it's a very interesting case. Obviously, Juventus are not happy, but it, it kind of had to happen for the rest of football to be happy, or the rest of Italian football to be happy. Um, but obviously, it has now changed the shape of the top four yet again. Yeah, it was ten points. Um, it was, was it ten. It was ten. It was delivered just before they kicked off against Empoli on Monday night, and even Mourinho was like, "The timing of this is just horrendous," which kind of shows how badly the Italian league has kind of done all of this. It can actually be appealed again, and Juventus haven't decided if they want to yet or not. If they just want to let it lie and kind of agree because it has to be the actual final verdict has to be in before a certain date so UEFA can can sort of decide or know who's in their competitions next year and it might be a case of if Juventus had qualified for Champions League uh, Chefferin would have just turned around and banned Juventus anyway because they're under investigation there so the thing is the 10 points if they'd have beat Empoli and not absolutely just collapsed on Monday night against them and got beat 4-1 they would have been, I think, in control of their own destiny because they play Milan this weekend and then they have a fairly easy last game. So they would have been able to get Champions League football still, which is kind of shows the state of a few of those teams around that fourth spot that have been competing for it, have just been losing a lot of games, drawing a lot of games. But they didn't. They got beat by Empoli in spectacular fashion. Allegri's jobs now up in the air. Back touching back to Napoli, Giantoli, their sporting director, is meant to be going to Juventus, and there's rumours that it's a toss up between well, it's a choice between keeping Allegri or getting Giantoli, who's built this wonderful squad at Napoli for Juventus because they they can offer him more money than Napoli. But if he comes, he doesn't want Allegri, but it's going to cost Juventus 43 million euros or something along those lines to sack Allegri. So the future of of Juventus is really up in the air and it can go one of two ways now. They can recover from this like they have done in the past with going down to Serie B or it just leaves them kind of meddling around probably 5th, 6th, maybe competing for 4th, 3rd the next few years rather than the league. Yeah, it, it, it's really been an interesting situation because obviously the thing is, is that it's a lot to get rid of Allegri but it is... I don't think you can start a new project or turn over a page while Allegri's still there because he has a very clear way of how he wants to play. He's going to want some clear style of footballers. He will obviously... There's, there's a lot happening at Juventus as well with wage turnover and contracts and whether people need to be renewed and what that's going to mean for the squad. It's, it's a very interesting time and it will not be helped if they don't have any sort of European football. If they might manage to get Europa League... That might help a bit, but that Champions League money is going to be badly missing from their pockets. Um, in terms of the top four, obviously Juventus dropping back down. Lazio kind of picked back up again. They of they were falling behind a bit earlier on this month, but they kind of picked back up. Inter have finally lost after a big run of games, and yeah, Atalanta have been doing quite well. Obviously, they lost. They, they were on a bit of a charge, lost two games, but they won again at weekend. So now they're within three points of Milan in fourth. Uh, the goal difference is very close. I think Milan are on 18 and 
uh, Atalanta are on 16, and then Roma are just bringing up the rear on 60 points. So it is still all to play for in that little mini league that is the top four. Um, and also, it seems like it is a bit of a mini league at the bottom of the table as well. As relegation looks to go to the last day, it's kind of been all change. Verona had clawed their way back out of the relegation spots, but after two more losses and Spezia getting a win and a draw, that has changed again. So now it is Verona on 30 points, uh, Spezia on 31 points, and Lecce on 33. Who Are you still confident that it'll be Spezia to go down looking at the games, or do you think that Verona have kind of just messed up their chances? Well... Uh, Inzola came back for Spezia and they won and drew. So <laughs> he didn't score, but he's like key to like dragging players out of possession. Uh, I mean, one of their goals against Milan was just an insane free kick from Esposito, but still, he causes a lot of problems and he can push Spezia like 10 yards as a natural starting position on the pitch. So Spezia have Torino and Roma. Neither of those teams have much to play for. Roma do, but you have to imagine that he that Roma have eyes on the final because that's their best route into the Champions League next season. And then Verona have Empoli at home, which is a winnable game, but Empoli seem to love playing with the freedom that knowing that they're already safe and, and beat Juve 4-1. And then they've got a Milan away who will probably need to win because Atalanta have Hoyland back. They have Lookman back off the bench uh, at the weekend. Like they've... They've got the attack and firepower to really cause Milan a problem. And Milan have Juventus on Sunday, and and that could go one of two ways for them. So, yeah, I think Verona are down. I I, th I don't. I think Spezia will pick up enough points, or Verona just won't do much in the last. They did go one all up Ver Verona against Atalanta, but then a goalkeeping error and two screamers kind of killed them. Yeah, Empoli have been in really good form. I think they're in, they're probably one of the better informed teams at the moment. They've won the last uh, the, in the last four games. They've won three and drawn one. They're in like really good form, and I think that'll be a problematic game for Verona, especially since Verona aren't very good. <laughs> it's just watching them. They're just they're not very great. Um, if you look, we look at the rest of it. Um, I, I I just want to draw attention to the fact that I was right about Monza. I was so right about Monza in every way, shape, or form. They're now eighth. They've done really well. Um, I, I was like, they're going to be stumbling blocks for uh, for a lot of teams. And by saying stumbling blocks, I don't think they've they've lost in the last six, maybe seven. No, no, they've not lost in the last eight games. Actually, now looking at this, they drew to Udinese. They, they beat Inter. They beat Fiorentina. They beat Spezia. They drew Roma. Drew Torino. Beat Napoli. Beat Sassuolo. And now they've got Lecce. Which is, to be fair, actually, we actually aren't talking about the Lecce because Lecce are still in that little mix. They've got to, if Monza, Lecce have got to go to Monza and then I think, let me just double check who they're playing. Um, obviously, Monza have got Atalanta in the last game of the season, which is big for, um, for Atalanta because that is a big game. And Lecce have Bologna, which is a bit of an easier game. But I think Monza have really shaped this top of the half they've kind of brought everyone back together because they have just tripped everyone up and yeah i am i'm glad to say that i was right i i just i just like saying i'm right <laughs> that's what i'm using this podcast for today we'll probably see monza competing for 
Conference League and Europa League football in the next few seasons because they've got quite a lot of resources, more than Atalanta do anyway. So they seem to be have got it right this season and they just need to kind of step that up again. I mean, last summer they tried to get Dybala and players like that. So we'll see who they go for this summer with Berlusconi's riches back in them. Yeah, Berlusconi just, just pumping money into them, just giving them all the, the, uh, the sort of resources. And another final bit of news... Sampdoria have kind of been saved a bit by uh, is it Andrea Radziani who owns Leeds and Qatar have kind of saved them from a bit of financial ruin because they are in an absolute downslide at the moment both on and off the pitch and they are definitely going down to Serie B as we have discussed before and with Genoa coming back up which is a pretty big hit to the ego but they've kind of been saved in terms of the financial situation yeah Qatar involved um Every football club will be owned by Qatar and or Saudi. <laughs> is Qatar involved, or is it someone who well, lives in Qatar? Yeah, I don't, I don't know the, I don't know if it's the Qatari investment fund that own uh, PSG and Braga now. I think it's Braga they own some of that. I think it might be them. So yeah, them and the Leeds owner uh, Rajazani, who has his own issues because if Leeds stay up on the final day, I think the Forty ers who own like 40% of Leeds want to take full control of the club. So, yeah. But no, Sampdoria needed to pay, I think it was 30 million euros by the end of this month or next month um, in unpaid wages. Otherwise, they'd have had to start at the very bottom of the Italian football system. So, yeah, they'll be... They'll likely be in Serie B next season and with those two running it and just a... The nature of that club, how big they are, they'll probably be back up uh, soon enough, which will be good for the city of Genoa, um, considering their rivals went up. And yeah, both of them and the and that derby in the league again would be good for Italian football. Yeah, uh, I think that I think that's a good thing because obviously Sampdoria are a historic club, and it is kind of sad the way they've been going the last few seasons. So hopefully, it gets a bit of a turnaround. Well, let's move into today's big topic, which is the Coppa Italia final, which was played, as I said, a few days ago. Played between Fiorentina and Inter Milan. Spoilers. I mean, you've probably seen the result by now. Inter one two one, but it was a, it was a really interesting game. I thought it was a really good game. Um, it was a really good sort of advertisement for Italian football. I think it was two teams that have kind of are in good form at the moment, especially Inter Milan or Inter in. Um, in cup football have been great and Fiorentina have kind of got back and firing after a very slow start to the season and we're going to talk about how that has kind of put Italiano on every single club's radar who wants a manager this season um, but we'll, we'll start they took an early lead through Nico Gonzalez quite a nice goal and but then Inter came back thanks to Lotaro Martinez who has been in great form so We'll start with Fiorentina. So, this was kind of the story of Fiorentina's season. They dominated the game with shots, but they couldn't finish the chances. And it was it was a really poor uh, striking performance all round. Obviously, they took that early lead. And it, like you said, it was a nice goal from probably their best player. He got the goals from, um, last week against Basel uh, to turn that tie around and send them to the Conference League final score again. But, Fiorentinas have been a bit iffy in front of goal this season, so like Cabral has had streaks of really good form and he has been in good form recently. Um, but then their backup striker is Luka Jovic and he came on with 
20 minutes to go and yeah um it sparked a lot of conversation because he was very very bad and he's just not he's not the guy that was at frankfurt all those years ago then went to real madrid obviously had a really tough time there which is fine and he's ended up in fiorentina but he's never he's never clicked there was i think the big chance or the one that people might have seen if they hadn't watched the game was um dodo crossed it in and it looked like he hung up in the air and and jovic got up and he he had the whole goal team at like Handanovic, who started this game instead of Onana, was scrambling across the goal. So Jovic tried to put it back across to the to the far post, but he put it so wide, it was unbelievable. And he, Jovic had scored basically that exact goal, I think, two weeks ago um, for Fiorentina, where he, he headed it back and it, it clipped off the far post and went in, but he, this one he got so wrong. I mean, it felt like... So all the goals in this were in the first half, but... Fiorentina had a lot, a lot of chances and a lot of shots to, to kind of bring this to at least 2-2. They just couldn't find the goal, which is, is frustrating for them because it's a cup final and they've not won anything in a, in a while. Yeah, we, we, we referred to it as Brighton Syndrome a bit earlier on um, this season. They just they, they, they create so much, but they just can't seem to finish it. And obviously... Like Cabral's form has really helped them as of late, but he just wasn't in this game um, at all. And then Jovic is just, yeah. Jovic at Frankfurt is a story of many strikers. The fact that Frankfurt seemed to create the system that really made their striker shine. Um, Kostic was a big part of that. And then he moved to Juventus because there was they had a, like, a line of strikers like Jovic, um, Haller, I think Andre Silva was there for a bit, and even like Santos Bore, who's absolutely awful, uh, looked really good in that Frankfurt system. But it is it is really weird with Jovic because it he's so far removed from the that very famous goal he scored against Chelsea, where he runs past Rebic gives it to him and he runs past him, and Rebic just turns around and starts celebrating because he's so sure that Jovic has scored it. He just seems so far removed from that player that it just doesn't seem like it's going to work out for him at this level. And that is one of the questions that we had to this from Alex Alex Donaldson. He said, where does Luka Jovic go from here? Surely he can't stay at this level. I know it's only been a season, but both Cabral and Gomez have shown more than him in fewer minutes. And I do think that Jovic needs to go somewhere that starts his career, but then at the same time, he is a striker that thrives off the level of the the creativity in his in it, in the, around him, so it's really interesting to say where you think he would go. Where would you think he would go? That is one very obvious league that Turkish Super League is calling you. No, um, I don't know. It is difficult. I felt like Fiorentina was the right kind of move for him. Like, think about how many goals that his compatriot Dusan Vlahovic scored. Like the chance creation at Fiorentina is always very good. They, they're always high in the XG numbers and you felt like Jovic just needed that situation where he was this medium-sized fish in a medium-sized pond rather than what he was at Real Madrid but it's not worked out for you at Fiorentina I don't know do you, do you go back to Germany where there are strikers in Germany or attackers in Germany that seem to like thrive in Bundesliga football but 
can't really do it other places. Like Timo Werner, obviously at Chelsea, didn't click for him, but he's very good for Leipzig, players like that. So, yeah, maybe he'll end up back in Germany, but I don't think, I think it's best for for him and Fiorentina if they part ways. Fiorentina have their main striker in Artur Cabral. Um, they have decent options off the bench. So, yeah, I would, I would, I, is, is Jovic permanent at Fiorentina? Is he on loan from Real Madrid? They retransferred him this summer. Yeah, he, he ran out. Yeah, he has five goals in the league. He has one goal in the Cups. He has, he, he's been all right in the Conference League, to be fair. He has six goals in the Conference League. Um, but, yeah, he's, it's not terrible. Like the thing is, is that I I can understand when you actually when you watch performances like that when he's being relied on, you can see the kind of problems with having him there. But to say he has like twelve goals for Fiorentina this season as a backup striker, that's not terrible. Like I think if he's there as a kind of backup option, you're like okay, that's not too bad. Especially if Cabral is now starting to actually come into his own and show himself off. It's just, so, he just seems very panicked in like high pressure situations. And if Fiorentina want to get to back to a place where they're qualifying for the Europa League, if they're, where they're in a European final, like, I would imagine, and I think we're probably touching it a wee bit more before, before this end of this pod, but if they're playing West Ham, West Ham are going to want to keep it very tight and not concede if, if this game is 0-0 after 70 minutes or Fiorentina are chasing the goal after 70 minutes and they're bringing Jovic on for Cabral do you really bank on him scoring a goal I don't know if I do like I'm just looking at his goal record like across his career so like since Frankfurt two years at Frankfurt 75 games 36 goals which very good return but since then he had 32 appearances for Real Madrid, 2 goals. 18 back on loan at Frankfurt, 4 goals. 19 when he got nineteen appearances when he got back to Real Madrid, 1 goal. 12 goals in 48 games for Fiorentina. It's okay if you're a backup striker, but if there's there's like games that really form a perception of a player. Like, like if you think of the NBA, if a player is great during the regular season but sucks in the playoffs... There's a huge, huge <laughs> Joel Embiid. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's a huge asterisk on them as a as a player. It kind of feels like Jovic is a bit like that. Yeah, I, I can I can see where you're coming from with that. Uh, I think the I think the problem the thing with Jovic as well is I like to say the Real Madrid style is very um, not reflective of any sort of thing because obviously like we look at games, but I think like he was coming on for like ten minutes, maybe even less in most of those games so it's kind of like hard and I think that's that's the big thing about Jovic is, is he always seemed like a very confident guy like as I said like he was scoring chances and everyone was really confident that he was going to score them regardless of where he got them and then like you get two years of just being like yeah you're not getting on the pitch over Benzema even for like two minutes at most times like I can really knock a guy's confidence and using that as a segue um, confidence is something that the other striker in this game definitely has at the moment. Lautaro Martinez is on fire in these cup games for Inter. Obviously, he was really good in the two legs for uh, against AC. Uh, he's going to AC, AC Milan. And he, he really showed that confidence again to, uh, in this game. He scored two quick-fire goals. They were the difference. And they were really good goals. And they were really well taken. And they showed, like... 
the, I, I, I would I would like to say that Fiorentina can't really do much about them because <laughs> they just were just he just looked so devastating on the ball. Yeah, um, so like I think if you look back to the first leg against Milan in the Champions League, he like did everything but score, which is which is great. Like he he's big in the progression of the play, drops deep, he drives it forward. Then in the second leg, he got his goal. In this one, it became the lateral final. He scored two really. Actually, the first goal, Brozovic plays this insanely good pass. It's kind of like uh, Man United's second goal last night. If Anyone saw that where Casemiro like flicks it into, was it Sancho? And and but if in that situation Lataro doesn't square it across to to the striker, which would have been Jekyll, which was Martial, he just blasts it in, which it was very high risk to be honest with you, because like Jekyll would have had a tap in, but Lataro scores it. It's a different story. Um, that kind of shows the confidence he's in because a lot of the time Lotaro goes through on goal and it just becomes kind of comical. Like, he cannot hit the barn door. The second goal is is just great striker play, I think. It kind of gets recycled. Barella lofts this ball, kind of loopy, and Lotaro just wants it more than the Fiorentina um, defender, to use a cliche. Like, he just gets his leg in front a bit like Jekyll's in the Champions League against Milan actually just gets his leg in front of the defender there's nothing the defender can really do about it and he blasts it past um, the Fiorentina goalkeeper that was in the space of like eight minutes I think so yeah Lotaro and Lotaro's really stepped up in the cup competitions for for Milan uh, Inter this season Um, he's been really really good and I think he'll be the captain of the club next year, and it's sort of is becoming Lataro's club. Marotta has said like he really wants to keep hold of Martinez because he really thinks that he's a big part of the club, and the captaincy. I think he had the captaincy in the second leg of the, the the derby in the Champions League, and that kind of shows the faith that they have him in that club, and they really want him to stay and be the the player that they build the club around. And I think obviously having that sort of responsibility. Um, it is the situation of you hope he fries on it, but you also hope that this isn't one of the what we're just kind of getting drawn in as always by by one of my, uh, one of his streaks, and then he just kind of falls away again. Um, but th- this game, you kind of want to look at it that this is a cup final, and both of these teams are going to be in European Cup finals after uh, uh, later on uh, this I think next month. So it's only a few weeks away for both teams and they're both going to have to, we can take some lessons in this to look at those finals. So Fiorentina in the Conference League final, as we've already mentioned against West Ham, I think the big takeaway from this is, this is a game that Fiorentina dominated. This is a game that Fiorentina got ahead in, but this is a game that Fiorentina let get away from them. And also they kind of didn't really show their quality in front of goal and Inter took advantage of that and scored two goals and they lost. So I think that that is kind of something that they need to think about because West Ham will have that situation where they will try and punish them. Yeah, kind of hard to judge who's the favourite in this Conference League final because I think Fiorentina are a better team, but West Ham can just cause you issues and I think West Ham maybe have a couple better individual talents 
than than Fiorentina do. But you're right, there are some similar themes. Like I'm not saying West Ham and Inter play the same or or have the same quality, but I think I fully expected the Conference League final, which is a big gap to now. I think it's the Champions League final is a week tomorrow, but the Conference League final is not for until like Wednesday the seventh or the Wednesday the thirteenth or something. Like it's it's like a two week gap from now. I think it says on a Thursday and Europa League has to be played first. So it's like it goes Champions League, then Europa League, and then the other week and then it's Conference League. So I fully expect Fiorentina to dominate the ball in the, the Conference League final, but with a lot of missed chances, West Ham are I was gonna say West Ham are good defensively. They have been good defensively in the Conference League, less so in the Premier League. And maybe Fiorentina are a level of competition that it's a step up from some of the teams they've played in the Conference League. But if I can see Fiorentina getting frustrated uh, and conceding to to a set piece to Bowen over the top will cause them problems. Rice driving through midfield might cause them problems. Paqueta can do very good things with football and obviously Fiorentina will know him for his time in Milan. So I, I don't know. I find that game really hard to to call. I think Fiorentina might blow it because of their inconsistencies in front of goal, even if they dominate the ball. Yeah, I, I think it is, it, I can get what you mean with the similarities because it is a sort of sense of West Ham. Fiorentina might be a better put-together team, but West Ham have a lot more individual quality. And obviously, Mikel Antonio, when he's on it, is a very scary player for any team to kind of come up against because he's just a full... Him and Rice have that sort of quality where they just pick up the ball and I don't know... It, there's not many teams that I know how to reliably get it off them. That's the thing that like they can drive forward and they can kind of mess up your plans. Uh, and obviously, we've mentioned Paqueta. I think Paqueta's really come into his own at this like back end of the season. He's been really good and he'll definitely cause them problems in the game. But yeah, I think it is an interesting case because it, it, these sort of finals are the can you make the most of your chances and can you stay strong? Because the thing is, is taking a league early and kind of setting yourself stall out early. A good team makes the most of that from that point forward, and I know obviously West Ham are a step down from Inter and they won't make that big change. But you've got there is some sort of reflection on the mentality of Fiorentina by the fact that they didn't keep a hold of the game. The weird thing with this Conference League final, and probably the one last year as well, is like if. At the Coppa Italia final, you saw how many Fiorentina fans there were. There was the big tifo. They had there was great atmosphere. With the Conference League final, I mean West Ham have pretty decent fans as well, and we saw a big Nolsey or whatever it was called <laughs> taking bodies against AC Milan. But both both sets of fans only get like four and a half thousand tickets each. There's not going to be like this intense atmosphere. So. Eh, and as, I don't want to say it's like a friendly. It's a it's a final, but like it's not as an in, it's not as intense. It's not as as spectacular. So wh- whoever handles that sort of weird atmosphere better as well. And um, Fiorentina, I mean West Ham went deep in the Europa League last year. Fiorentina had the Coppa Italia final, but they've not really done much in sense of European football for a while so I, I wonder if West Ham just have which is weird to say but I just do West Ham have more 
European European yeah like, and that sounds crazy when I'm saying it because it's West Ham and no offence to fans of that club but they might just have the edge over Fiorentina in that sense yeah I, I was just looking I was just trying to see like I, I couldn't remember which way around it was but Fiorentina actually came back away from home so that might have some bearing on it as well like they they, they went to Basel's ground and they made a difference but if we just just pause on Fiorentina because there is another topic we want to talk about with Fiorentina and we move over to Inter um, obviously they, they, they've they got to they've <laughs> from one juggernaut to another <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're obviously not facing West Ham they're facing Manchester City in the Champions League final and the way that we've discussed this in the past is the individual quality of Milan is probably where uh, Inter is where they shine and where they might make a difference obviously we've talked about a bit about Lotaro but players like Barilla um, and others will probably the ones that make the difference. Brozovic is someone that we mentioned and he started in this game. Obviously, we mentioned before, it did look like when Mkhitaryan was fit that Brozovic was kind of coming in as a little bit of a later piece to slow things down, but obviously Mkhitaryan um, got injured and now Brozovic started. So, uh, what sort of bearing... Yeah, I'm just wondering if we see Brozovic start in the final, but... Uh, look, no two football games are, are the same and, and I think Inter will probably set up a bit differently than they did here but it will be of a concern that they conceded 19 shots in a in a final I mean Fiorentina are a bit wasteful Manchester City almost definitely will not be that wasteful if you give Manchester City 19 shots they're probably going to score at least two goals like <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's a low estimate. So I think that'll be of a concern. Obviously, there was some tweaks in this game, like Handanovic is their cup keeper. Um, maybe Onana is a bit more proactive on that Fiorentina chance uh, and kind of comes out and and stops that route where Gonzalez can just kind of put it into the goal. Oh, I, I just don't give in too much of a chance in in Istanbul against City. I don't. I, I don't see them really causing them too many issues. I think, yeah, the individual quality's there, but and I think that's seven finals in a row that Inzaghi's won. He's very good in, in finals, but this City team just seemed like, a, like, like we mentioned in the, the other podcast, but it seems like a step too far for either one of Milan or Inter to then win this final. Yeah, Mkhitaryan is fit. He, is on, he was on the bench. I'm just, just double-checking that, but... Yeah, it was a sense of it. Like they did start with Brazovic, so they could go back to the Mkhitaryan thing. Also, I'd like to point out that someone on their bench has one of the greatest names that I think I've ever heard. Number forty-three for Inter Milan, Ebenezer Akinsamiro is an absolutely insane name. I love it. I hope he becomes a really big star at Inter because I love that name. Um, but yeah, it is an individual quality thing. I think that that they might do. Obviously, they can do a low block. They can do the sort of frustrate City but if they are letting up 19 shots then there's just you can just see Haaland just hat trick and just oh it'd be awful it'd be awful to watch it might be a massacre um but then we just move on to our final topic about these two teams and it is it kind of does have some bearing because there is there's still even though he has been doing well there is still a little bit of uncertainty about Simone and Zaghi and what it what it means long term um but 
a lot of teams have been linked with Vincenzo Italiano. Um, obviously, Napoli have been linked with him uh, as as they might be looking for a manager. Spurs have been linked with him in recent weeks. I think that just every sort of like top team uh, in Europe has kind of got him on the shortlist at least. And it is a testament that he has managed to turn this Fiorentina season around a lot because obviously they were really bad at the start. And he has really, he plays some really nice football. But I, I'm just kind of looking at these teams and I'm kind of thinking, is Fiorentina the best place for him to be right now to kind of mature and nurture his football and get it to a place where he can take a step up? Because I do still see the flaws in it. Yeah, I agree. There is, I love Italiano. He did great things at Spezia and, and kept them up and now he's moved on to Fiorentina. Obviously, there's the whole thing where they're, just they're underperforming their expected goals like the graham potter issue there are some issues with sort of transitional defense they can get exposed a lot which is kind of unless you're like a very very elite coach or like have elite players that's a problem that a really progressive system is going to give you Napoli might be a, a nice step up as spalletti is leaving and i think that the squad there although there'll be some changes, kind of suits Italiano. He can play his 4-3-3, which he tends to stick to, or 4-2-3-1, like you can have variations, but they're ultimately the same thing. And then Spurs, no horrible situation for like literally any manager, really. The squad isn't built for Italiano. There's so much uncertainty with like who they're going to bring in. They don't have a sporting director. There's just no plan, and I think for a young coach, or not not young, but like up and coming coach, to take that job now would be a really big mistake. I think for me, the the best thing would be staying at Fiorentina, because like you said, there are still issues with this Fiorentina team, and they're ones that he can coach, and I want to see how he does in a second season, like one season and done at Fiorentina, and yes, he's got them to two cup finals, is huge, but they are also like ninth, tenth in the league. They should probably be pushing like sixth, seventh, at least eighth. Eighth should be Fiorentina's lowest position in the league. If you're, if if we're being honest, like they're a big, big club. Okay, they've not won as much as the other Italian clubs, but they're one of Italy's most famous clubs, and they do have resource. So yeah, I think, I think Napoli would be a good step for him, and I, and if he took that, and if he was offered that, I would probably if i was advising him i'd probably say take it the spurs one i would almost definitely say do not take that but i think for me personally i think i'd like to see him stay at fiorentina and try and build something there try and use this season as a stepping stone for the whole club rather than a stepping stone for himself yeah i, I think i think it's a, a, a matter of if there are any question marks whatsoever i wouldn't take it because fiorentina at least like fiorentina have done a lot like a lot of managers wouldn't have got the benefit of doubt that Italiano did at the start of the season to come back and sort it out. And I think that's a very good faith thing from them, that they are, they're able to see the promise that he has and allow him to kind of bring it back in. And they're still happy with him being 11th in the league because he's got the two cup finals. I think, yeah, Napoli and Spurs are at two ends of the spectrum of Napoli. Both have kind of problematic owners, but, um, 
Napoli have a really good sporting structure in place. They have a really good team. They have a team that really fits him. They have a team that kind of makes sense and kind of he can slot into and do well with to begin with. Spurs is just the complete opposite of that. Like their team is aging. They don't even know if they're going to have their best players next season. They have no sporting structure. They seem to be trying to get their manager in before that, which I just it is the cat for the horse problem. I'm not going to turn this podcast into what is wrong with Spurs, but if you're any manager and you're even like considering going to Spurs, I just say no because there is no way you're going to succeed. Like there is a hundred percent no way you're succeeding in that club at the moment. Like it is just kind of just the place where your career goes to die. Um, so I, I'd like him to stay as far away from that job as humanly possible, and Italy is a good place for that. <laughs> I think there are still questions around Napoli's future as well with Gentile who built this title-winning team leaving. Like, what happens next? Does Awesome Hen go? How is that money reinvested? I think the rumour is if Awesome Hen goes, then, um, is it Boniface or Bonifat, the Belgian, yeah, the guy can... that plays in Belgium? For it's the guy that will come in, and you're like, that's he's obviously done very well, especially in the Europa League. But to re- replicate Victor Osman is going to be almost impossible because he's been by far and away the best striker trust, in the trust, league. Tr- trust in Nigeria striker they, factory, yeah. They don't know how to do much else, but builders get a good striker, they do. But yeah, so there's question marks on both those clubs, definitely like huge Riddler outfit question marks all over Spurs <laughs> just thinking of huge Riddler I was thinking of Arkham I was thinking of Arkham Asylum there and I don't know why he doesn't you don't see him in Arkham Asylum yeah but he's, he's all his he's question marks are cutting about <laughs> all his question marks are cutting about <laughs> Arkham Asylum but a question for the podcast that isn't football related Arkham, uh, Arkham Asylum or Arkham City Arkham Asylum Arkham Asylum over Arkham City I think so I, I, I don't know if it's because I there's just nostalgia with that one and playing it. I don't know. Maybe the other one's a better game. I think Arkham Asylum has the better story, but Arkham City is the better game because it's just... I just like having the city to just put about as Batman and just be like, yeah, I could jump. Like, you, you can just go up to a, a, a thug who's like, oh, I'm walking along in the street and nothing bad's going to happen to me while I rock this store. Ah, Batman, where did you come from? <laughs> that's, probably my, that's probably why I like Asylum better the story. I like it. Like I like I mean, the the story in that and the like the the fight at the end is is excellent. Like that's the fight at the end is excellent. That's the one thing about Arkham no, that everyone that. hates. I love that. I'm not. I'm not I like I like that. I, my, that's my hot take. That fight's fu- your hot. Yeah. Your hot take is that <laughs> on my you like the, final the hot fight take is like, on the seriously good podcast is the final fight in Arkham Asylum is not bad. <laughs> It's I, I'll have to. I'll have to. I'm not even going to agree to disagree. I just disagree. You can have your opinion, Danny. It's just wrong. <laughs> so, it's Maybe it's anyway. nostalgic because I'm not played it since I was like. <laughs> well, it's still good. I played it like a few. I uh, think about a year I ago. St- I played it during lockdown. I started it during lockdown. I don't think I ever finished it. I think I got distracted by something. Oh well. Oh, fair enough. So yeah, we'll, we'll get back to we'll get back to Italian football now because I just wanted to ask that just to because uh, we were just. We just thought I'd, I'd, I'd throw a little bit of a curveball into the podcast, put Danny on his toes. Um, final question from Aditya was, why can't Vlahovic score goals at Juve? Is it a bad system? Or is it that he's limited at things like working out of possession and hold-up play? And has it been found out at Juve when he was, wasn't at Fiorentina? Because obviously, Vlahovic was at Fiorentina. The Fiorentina system 
really benefited him, I think. Obviously, he overperformed his XG, got quite a few penalties, um, which really pumped up his numbers. But he was considered like quite a good young striker. My answer to a lot of people, because there is an obsession over Vlahovic that I haven't seen since one Alvaro Morata, is that your idea of what Vlahovic is is better than what Vlahovic is. He A lot of people come up to me and go, oh, he's this really big physical striker. He can hold up the ball. He can do... I'm like, you haven't... No, that's not what Vlahovic is. He's a he's just... He is a goal scorer. That, that he gets on to the end of chances. And yeah, Juve's system is very slow. And we've discussed this in our podcast with uh, Stephen when we did the Juve podcast. He, he, he likes to get onto the end of chances and transitions and stuff like that. And Juve are very slow in build-up and very laboured, and it kind of really limits the space that he can operate in because other teams are allowed to get back and kind of organise. But he's not good at all the things that Juve, when they're at their best, need him to be. And a lot of the teams that I see him linked with and these fans that go, oh, well, I really want him to do all that think he can do those things and he can't <laughs> yeah the answer to the question is both like <laughs> Juventus's system is horrible for strikers but like Milik's looked better than Vlavic has and Vlavic is not good at holding the ball up okay maybe you'll get like some actions within the game where he receives the ball into his feet and he's able to sweep it out, out wide to Kostic but then Kostic puts in these excellent balls into the box and I can't even remember any that Vlavic has got on the end of. Like, it just doesn't work, Vlavic. Vlavic needs, like, a lot of space to run into. He needs... He, he can't... He needs to be facing towards the goal. He can't... He can't have his back to the goal. You're not going to get the best of him. And, and yeah, Juventus' system doesn't suit him, but I don't know if... Vlavic is built for like the top top teams like I, I just don't know if he's I just don't think that he is going to be this elite striker I don't think he's ever going to it's going to happen at an elite team I don't see his skill set just seems very suited to like teams that are going to create a lot of chances but there's no real pressure there to to do things like a lot of his goals were penalties so yeah i don't know just don't knock over your yeah no it was my uh, mic my mic but yeah so uh, yeah i just don't see it with Vavich. i i think there's a, a decent player in there but if a team wants to offer juventus like even three quarters of what they paid for him juventus should take it and sign skamaka yeah there's like there's so many like things situations where they're like oh you could get 80 million out of Vlahovic. It's just the whole I can fix him problem, which is just, no, you can't. Like, we've been down this road before. Like I said, Morata is like, there are, like, Morata is a good to decent player. In the right system, he can be very good. Like, but there are so many flaws there that you can't really scale that up. Like, I, I, if there was a top team that I, should, I could say he might be good for, it's Bayern. And that's because the league probably has gives him a lot more space than he would be warranted in other leagues. And they're kind of more like, if you're a number nine, uh, especially in Thomas Tuchel's sort of system, if you're a number nine, you're just going to be there to score goals and we'll just get the ball into you as much as possible and just score as many goals as you want. Obviously, in a 
Nagelsmann's system, that would have been a different uh, situation because he wants his striker to be a little bit more involved. But if you go into a team where there's a lot more space and they're just like, just score goals, then Vlahovic could thrive. But it's getting more and more that like you need to be able to do more. And also, if you're spending like 80 million, just go and give a little bit more money and get Oshaman because he's just better. He can create a lot more for himself than Vlahovic. I think Vlahovic is like the. He, he's, he's like. Vlahovic is the bullet that in a perfectly working gun works well. Like, he's he's not the trigger. He's not the handle. He can't do the rest of it himself. He is the just the final piece of the puzzle. Um, whereas there are a lot more strikers across the league, across the Serie A. Like, Beto is much better than Vlahovic. Like, if you're going to spend money on it, <laughs> if you really want to go and spend money on a Serie A striker and you can't afford Osimhen, just buy Beto. Like, he's much better. Or like, he wouldn't. Or Hoyland. Like, there's there's so many strikers where I'm just like, they are individually better at a lot of things that Vlahovic aren't good at, and also do the thing that Vlahovic is meant to be good at much better than he can. Like, so, it just annoys me. It's just an annoying little thing that I just have to have this conversation constantly with people. <laughs> it's a big question mark on Juventus and, and with what they do, because if they can get out from it, they should, but I don't know if they'll be able to. And then it, it just poses a question as, like, he probably has to be your main striker, so how are you going to deal with that? Yeah. Like, because I, I saw some Arsenal fans being like, oh, oh, we could still get him and he'd be our backup striker. And I was like, oh, like, obviously they got Jesus in the end. But I was like, I could, I try and imagine him in that Arsenal system if they didn't get Jesus. I'm like, that Arsenal system is just awful like it would not work at all because Jesus is so involved in the build up and so is like Nketiah when he plays it's just insane but yeah, yeah I, just, I just don't see what it's gonna what's gonna happen um, obviously if Juve change coach and they go for a different system then maybe because they do have some creative players and if they sign some more creative players then they might be much better off but yeah it's just such a such a weird system for him and it's not gonna work and like we said before, it's a lot of money to get Allegri out of that contract and Juve might not be able to pay it. So if that happens, then I don't think he's going to um, do that well. On that note, I think that is it for today's episode. I think we've covered all the bases. We've covered the questions. We've covered both teams and we've covered uh, the the future of Vincenzo Italiano, which was something that we both kind of wanted to talk about because we both have a deep love for that bald man um, but uh, yeah I'd say thank you for listening again this has been the Seriously Good Podcast is there anything you want to say before we finish Danny? nothing for me uh, thanks Danny is having problems yeah, finding I'm his mute really button he, he, mute, <laughs> he, he mutes between each thing and you just see him just like whenever I, I, I throw it to him just kind of claw around at the keyboard trying to find the mute button I need 5pm and I'm Big paint is what I need. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> well, it was Danny's choice to record this early in the morning, no, so it's, it's his not, own fault. It's not this. It's the the rest of the week has been hectic. So. <laughs> uh, anyway, again, thank you for tuning in, and have a, a good next week. We'll see you again next week. We might have something else for you next week. But again, thank you for tuning in, and ciao.